Emily. Yeah. Uh, I hope you too have been impacted in some way uh, over the course of this past year in James. Uh, that we are coming to the end and, and that God has been doing a work in, in our people's lives, I hope in your life as well in some way, shape, or form. Uh, this is the last, the last, the last time we will be in James uh, this year, but I hope it's not the last time you ever pick up the book of James. I hope it did something in your heart. Just a few things happening. Uh, and before we even get to that, uh, t- just two significant things. Uh, a gentleman by the name of Tom Schmidt, his funeral, his celebration of life is this afternoon. Uh, just a, a man that was invested around here for many years. And uh, uh, his son, Chris, uh, daughter-in-law, Angie, and their grandkids, his wife, Penny. Uh, just a way to celebrate just a man that's been a pillar, an investment around here, invested in kids and grandkids. And, uh, and just this morning, uh, just early this morning, uh, another, another sweet saint, Bev Anderson, uh, met Jesus this morning. And so uh, Ron and Bev... Uh, we're charter members around here. Uh, the, uh, the, the daughter, uh, son-in-law and daughter uh, was Scott Ziegler, our founding pastor. And so uh, just we get to celebrate the life that Bev Anderson lived. And, and now no more tears, no more pain. Celebrating, celebrating with Jesus in a, way, uh, in a way that we all long to someday. So things going on around here in the body VBS is coming up. So with your time, with your treasure, with your talent, uh, this would be a great way. There's a, there's a booth outside in the lobby. It would be a great way to be invested with your time, with your treasure, with your talent. Whatever that'll look like, this is a great way that we get to partner together as a, as a community for, for our kids and grandkids uh, as, well as, as well as the community. And then, uh, and then this summer, starting next week, uh, I can't be more excited uh, this distinction between the kingdom of God and the empires that have come and gone throughout the centuries. God continues to be faithful in building his kingdom. It's about a king forming a people under his rule and reign. It is about king, King Jesus, no other name, forming a people under his rule and reign. So I'm excited for what this summer is going to look like starting next week. But you heard some stories uh, of, of what God has been doing in different people's lives uh, through our study of James, these four movements that faith works. That, that if Jesus is the treasure in our heart, if he sits on the throne of our heart, it inevitably gets expressed in, in, in works. And so faith works when we're tested. Faith works when we love. That because of the generous love we've received, we can't help but share that generous love to others. Faith works when I speak. What causes quarrels and fights among you? I know what it is. It's always the other people in my life, right? James says, no, there's actually something at war within you. And so faith works as we speak in and to those around us. And then now he is landing his plane. Faith works when we persevere, persevere to the end. And so I hope what you heard even Jill say, faith without works, it's no faith. There's no faith. You don't just get to pray a prayer at the age of five and say, I'm good for eternity. James is going to wrestle with that this morning. But sometimes when we hear that, we swing to the other end of the pendulum. Faith plus works. Look at all the works I have. And we're pressed in the book of Matthew. Jesus says, department for you, I never knew you. Though I have all these behaviors in my life, it was actually false faith. Instead, James has been saying faith leads to works. And so... 
So where I go with that is this sense of search and rescue. You guys think of search and rescue? You guys ever been in an experience where you've needed or the thought of search and rescue has crossed your mind? Has that ever happened? No, we stay in the confines of our safe home. We never travel out. Well, I, I thought that too until this past summer I decided to go backpacking in Colorado. What was I thinking? And so there was a point where we're walking around and this thought strikes me, right? I, I don't have cell service. This is a rare occurrence. There's no one around other than these guys. What would happen if, I mean, so we had some challenges along the way. What would happen if we went missing? Would anyone come for us? Would we just be loved? What would happen as we're out there in the middle of nowhere, wandering around some trail, and I guess it's fairly populated. We see some people from time to time. But if, we, if something happened, would anyone come for us? And there was a pastor that I love, his name's Steve Cole. He, he wrote about a search and rescue experience. And what would happen if those in your life began recounting these reasons had they heard about you missing? They said, well, David, we didn't come for you because it was really, really stormy and really cold. So we just didn't come find you. Or, you know, there was a really good show on TV. So I just prayed that you were going to be okay out there. And, and, and maybe, you know, David, I just wanted to be sensitive to your feelings. I thought you'd be embarrassed if we came looking. You know, I, I thought maybe it would feel like you weren't really out hoofing it on that trail. We, we just wanted to be sensitive to your feelings. And, and David, I wasn't sure if you were really lost. Uh, you know that GPS beacon we pushed in that button that was like, oh man, what? or you haven't heard from us like a week, that, that would be an indication. David, I wasn't sure if you were really lost. <laughs> and then it would be judgmental to imply that you were actually lost. It would be arrogant of me to say that I'm not lost. After all, we all have our own paths on a journey, David. You know, who am I to judge? We're, if you're lost, I, who am I? And yet the text this morning that James finishes with is about God's search and rescue plan. That those who might be lost, God actually has a plan to search and seek and find those who are lost. Here's what James has as he lands the plane. My brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. James, unlike Paul, unlike these other guys, has no formal conclusion to his letter. Instead, he ends with a sense of personal urgency. Paul usually has some nice, kind words, a benediction, I'm praying for you guys. James ends his letter with no formal conviction why, or, or conclusion. Why? Because I think he has this personal sense of urgency he's trying to instill that these guys 2,000 years ago were not much different. We tend to wander. We're prone to wander. And so James concludes instilling this passion, you are actually Jesus' search and rescue team. 
It's actually a gift that you are an everyday missionary who lives with generous relationships. If you've come to know Jesus, you actually are participating in the way God designed his search and rescue plan to be accomplished. And so as we dig in to the text, there's just going to be three movements that we're going to walk through with this big idea in mind. That James finishes his letters and wants us to recognize the critical role of the community of faith in our spiritual vitality. If your son or daughter went missing, how much desperation would you have in pursuing them? And, and if they come back, how much celebration would there be? Casey's wondering, if David didn't come back from Colorado, maybe that wouldn't be such a bad thing, right? But, but instead, we actually get to participate and recognize the critical role of a community of faith in our spiritual vitality. And here's where James is going to land his letter. We realize that any one of us could wander from the truth and the hope of the gospel. And we never presume, presume that all who profess Jesus are necessarily saved. Instead, we appreciate that God uses us as instruments of his grace in one another's lives. So pray with me as we, uh, as we land James and, and, and wrap up with, a, with this incredible call for how we are being used in and around the lives around us. God, you are so good. Uh, heaviness of life. Uh, Joy and sorrow in the passing of, of a sweet saint like Bev Anderson. Uh, may you fill Ron more with your presence uh, in the midst of grief that you are, you are good and we anchor our life in you. And so help us all experience that a little bit more fully and, and hear what James has in this, this personal sense, this call to action. Thank you, Jesus, for your glory, we pray. Amen. Amen. So here's, here's where James, uh, I think, begins to land. We realize any one of us could wander from the truth. My brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth, who is that? If anyone. My brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth, what way might someone who is part of a community of faith wander from the truth? I think James has been talking about a moral sense. The whole letter has been just pressing us with relentless ways that our faith gets expressed. There is this moral wandering, a double-minded man. And yet contained within that moral wandering feels like one that we in our context wrestle with is just this apathetic, complacent wandering. There is this sense that, that, that COVID hit. I don't know if you guys remember this, about two years ago. COVID hit, the world changed, and not all that were connected to a community of faith came back in a meaningful way. What is that? There is this wandering, not, not, a, not necessarily doctrinal, we'll get there in a second, but just this moral wandering. This watering down of some core convictions, and yet our tendency, just like James is saying, is to blame someone else rather than put the mirror, right? We love window living, this wandering, and we shine the light to say, God, what, what, where is that in me? If anyone among you wanders, 
But it seems James has more in mind, this theological or doctrinal wandering, this verge of embracing some heresy or denying essential truths. That seems to be more of what James is saying when he says, if anyone among you wanders from the truth, that there's this movement away from some core convictions. Do you think that has any relevance for us today? We are constantly just saying, we want to major all the majors around here. We want to anchor ourselves in these core convictions. Sometimes we start bickering about these second-tier issues. We want to be anchored in the core convictions. We say, we don't want to make the doors to Hillcrest narrower than the doors to heaven. We also don't make the doors to Hillcrest wider than the doors to heaven. We want to confirm those essential truths, and we're looking around our culture, and it feels like those are being watered down. There's this, there's this language, and you guys forgive me if this is, I'm not trying to throw terminology, this movement, deconstructionist or exvangelical, you guys want to have a conversation, would love to talk more about it, but this movement of diminishing the biblical text, elevating the value of, uh, again, James, we, we talked about it, so I can say this, I hope, the movement, faith leads to works, works are inevitable, but elevating social justice among it, flowing, different from it flowing from faith, Right? There's this sense of denying essential truths that James wants us to see. If anyone among you wanders, that anyone, that anyone, that this could happen to me. If anyone among us wanders, James is sold out to saying, are you anchored in pursuing God through his word? If anyone among you wanders from the truth, what ought we do? First, I think James is saying, if this could be true of any one of us, man, just because I use words that profess a faith might not mean there's a depth of conviction. And here's what he says. My brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wanderings, there's going to be implications. He's going to tell us that in a second. So there's, there's a, a, a phrase for this in in. Uh, in Christianity. My brothers, if anyone wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wanderings. So who is that? So we're not presuming anyone who professes faith is necessarily someone who treasures Jesus. But I love what James is saying here. Because usually when we hear the word sinner... It's not often attributed to those that treasure Jesus. What I think James is saying here is a profound doctrine called the perseverance of the saints. I think this is profound. And so we're going to try and unpack it a little bit here. So if anyone, and so buckle up, because this is, this is like one of those tangents right now that not everyone appreciates some of the theological excursions to some of this stuff, but it's huge. And someone brings him back. Let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering. So who's the sinner? It's him, right? If someone brings back him, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering. So who's the him? Well, he's among you. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's where we're going, Terry. Terry's already there. He's already jumping down the thread. My brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth that someone brings him back, let him know who brings back a sinner. So the sinner is the him who is among you and who is among you. <laughs> Anyone, anyone is there. Well, in that group of anyone, how does James refer to that group of anyone? He calls them my brothers. So he's writing to a church family, these exiles, 
to his brothers and sisters, language that's used to attribute those that treasure Jesus, brothers and sisters in the family. God didn't have grandkids, right? And if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, let him know whoever brings back a sinner. So the sinner is him who is among you, anyone who's among you that was seen as brother or sister. So they begin wandering. They begin moving away either morally or theologically from some of these core convictions. What do we do? How, how do we know who treasures Christ and who doesn't? How do we respond to these situations? I want to I talk briefly about a core conviction on how this works that ideally frees us up to not feel the weight of, oh, it's all on me. I got to go seal the deal. I got to go figure this out. Instead, there's this beautiful conviction called perseverance of the saints. Now, sometimes some people use this phrase, once saved, always saved. I don't always find that the most helpful phrase because it leads sometimes us to believe, well, I, I prayed a prayer when I was young. I'm good to go. I don't need to worry about any other decision in my life. Instead, there's this beautiful conviction called perseverance of the saints that I think James is trying to tell us about. If anyone wanders, we could bring them back to the truth. Why? Because it's anchored in this conviction our security is ultimately in God. If you hear nothing else over the next five minutes, hear this. And I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. I, if you hear nothing else and you just snooze, for the, you just set your timer to snooze for the next five minutes. If you hear nothing else, this security in God frees us up. There's this freedom then as we interact with anyone around us. And it continues. Our security is in God, and so we must persevere in faith if we are finally to be saved. So there's this effort involved, not once saved, always saved, but rather there is this perseverance and effort that James is calling us to. And we see that in other texts. In 1 Corinthians, Paul says, I want to remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached, in which you stand and which you are being saved if you hold fast to the word do I preach you, unless you believed in vain. So, so there's this perseverance that takes place in our ongoing journey. And then those works that come from faith are necessary. Faith leads to works. It's an inevitable byproduct and it is essential. John tells us this in one of his letters. By this we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. The one who says I've come to know him and does not keep his commandments is a liar and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word in him, the love of God has truly been perfected. By this we know that we are in him. The one who says he abides in him ought to walk in the same manner as he walked. Faith inevitably leads to works as a reflection of this salvation. And those whom God has justified will be kept by God for salvation. Perseverance of the saints says, no one's going to wander so far that God would not bring him back. Those whom God has justified will be kept by God. Romans 8 there's this massive chapter in the greatest chapter, in the greatest book, in the greatest canon, Romans 8, profound. For we know that God causes all things to work together for the good of those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. For those he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of the Son, so that he would be the firstborn among men and brethren. And those whom he predestined, he called and those he called, he justified. And those whom he justified, he will also glorify. Bev Anderson was never outside of God's hand. 
Now Bev being glorified. What shall we say? If God is for us, who is against us? He did not spare his own son, but delivered him over for us all. How will he not also with him freely give us all things? Our security is in God. So we persevere and these faith inevitably gets expressed with works, but God will keep us. And here's the profound thing that wrecks me every time. How's this getting accomplished in our lives? How is any of this good being produced? Am I willing it into existence? God actually produces the faith and obedience and perseverance. That that concept wrecks me. This mysterious spiritual movement that happens in our lives that leads to us needing to endure to the end. (laughs) 1 Peter 5 captures this, I think, beautifully. Be alert and sober-minded. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Man, that illicit relationship that promises more joy than it actually can deliver, those substances that I want to use to numb my heart because I think it's going to provide more joy, watering down some convictions because I just want, David, I just want to love. Like a roaring lion looking for someone to desire, resist him standing firm in the faith because you know that the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kind of suffering. And the God of all grace who has called you into his eternal glory after you have suffered a little while will himself restore you and make you strong, firm, and steadfast. There is joy in the midst of suffering. And so continuing on, This security, falling away from faith and work shows that you never belonged. Heavy idea. Faith leads to works. And those are wandering, God has them and will never let them go. And yet, should someone wander so far, John tells us this in 1 John again in his letter. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For If they had been of us, they would have continued with us, but they went out that it might become plain that they are not of us. As someone wandering so far, what do you do? (laughs) Who, Who is that person? The conviction. God has got him, and he's using us as his search and rescue team. And there's a freedom. Well, how do I know who is or isn't saved? It's not on me. We just get to keep calling people to life with Jesus till the end. Till Jesus returns or calls us home, he uses us as his search and rescue team. What a crazy idea. That as you go, there's not this flippant disregard for people instead. You are critical means. Take care, brothers, lest there be any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day, as long as it's called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. For we have come to share in Christ, if indeed we hold our original confidence firm till the end. James says the same thing. My brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. We realize that any one of us could wander. We look around and there's no judgment because we understand, Lord, we are prone to wander. God, we need your hand being worked out in our lives. We need you. And we never presume that those who profess Jesus are saved. Literally scares the hell out of me when Jesus says, depart from me, I never knew you. And they go, Lord, Lord, we prophesied in your name. We cast out demons in your name. You know, I've never cast out a demon as far as I'm aware. And he says, depart. 
We never presume that all those who profess faith. Instead, we keep calling people who sits on the throne of your heart. And we, we appreciate that God uses us as instruments of his grace in one another's lives. So, so before we go there, though, I start studying this stuff, right? Back in like August, you guys know that? We start putting out a plan, trying to break up these different texts. So we get here to this text. Do we lump it in with last week's or do we have it stand on its own? What do we do with this text? For me, here's what I started praying on Monday and I don't know who it is, right? I'm just trusting that God's doing a work and he's, he's pressing hearts. And I, I just assume there's someone who says, but I'm so far gone. Someone who maybe is watching at home or is going to receive this a few months later. Someone who's even in this room. David, I'm so far gone. How can I ever return? I, my heart is just so broken. I have, a, I have a horrible relationship. How's that ever going to be mended? I don't know. I'm separated from my spouse and, and there's just no healing taking place. David, how is that ever going to be mended? I have no idea. I'm, David, I'm just consumed with these other things in life that are holding much more sway over my heart. And, and how can there be forgiveness for me? The prodigal son feels the same way. And when he returns, the father opens his arm and says, welcome home. If you're in that place, here's my encouragement. Turn around. Because <laughs> I think Jesus is right behind you. <laughs> Ready, present to say, come on back. That Jesus is present in and whatever those circumstances might be. Any one of us can wander. And we never presume that all who profess Jesus are saved. But we keep fighting together and we appreciate that God uses us as instruments of his grace in one another's lives. My brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. So I just want to fly through those real quickly. What is that? James has told us just a second ago earlier in his letter. First, you will be. What are the results of persevering together? You will be an instrument that saves someone's soul from death. James told us earlier, death is this unchecked sin ending in spiritual separation from God. He told us that back in chapter one. And save is often referring to the spiritual salvation. That there is a, a spiritual act being done in these brick and mortar, flood, flesh and flood conversations. And second, you will have been used of God in covering a multitude of sins. I think James, much like Peter, is thinking back to Proverbs, but love covers all offenses. Not broadcasting the sin of others, but forgiving one another towards repentance in Christ. So what's that look like? Perseverance is a community project. We have to get isolated. We have to move in distance. We, want, we don't want people to know what's going on in our life. Perseverance is a community project. And so though we believe this theology, I think our tone and timing have a very significant impact as well. I was having a conversation with someone this week. I hope we are known more about wanting to sit across the table than scream across the street. I hope our tone and our timing is one where it starts with prayer, believing prayer is the work, and we ask questions. We ask questions and avoid judgment because we're not God, but invite people in this pathway of sharing love. 
that it asks questions, avoids judgment, and shares love. And so I just want to walk through, what would that look like? What would it look like to persevere together? And what prevents us from persevering together? What, what keeps us from this level of intimacy? I think there's just an attraction to so much other stuff in life, right? You, you know, the NBA finals are on. You guys know that? And can, should I tell you who I'm cheering for? Yeah, you're like, no, we have no idea. <laughs> you're like, stop using the basketball illustrations. Tell us about like horticulture or something. Right? There's just so many other things. And you, you horticulturalists, you are consumed with gardening. I just assume you're like, where's the weed? We got to pick out the weed today. And you'll be out there for hours. There's just an attraction to so many other stuff. And the games are on like at 9 p.m. You guys know this? So it's like, I got I to wake up tomorrow morning, but the games are so late. I'm like, all these priorities. Attraction is so much other stuff. What prevents us from persevering together? There's just so many other things going on in this life. And the fear of being known. If someone actually knew how broken and hurt I was, it might judge or gossip about me. Ugh. The fear of being known prevents us from persevering together. Bad past experiences with church people or small groups. We have the fear of being known probably because it might have happened to us. Where we have some bad experience where you've heard some other knucklehead get up here and say the value of community and then you get burned. And you're like, forget this. Why would we persevere together? Because we actually believe, why, what would prevent us? We have a bad past experience where someone hurt us. And we just have a hard time finding people or groups with whom we connect. David, they're just not like me. You know this whole multi-generational thing? Those people under the age of 30 have no idea what's going on in the world. And those people above a certain age have no idea what's going on in the world. This is hard. The multi-generational family. It's hard to find people or groups. Hard to persevere together. Because sometimes it's hard to connect. What prevents us? difficult to find people who encourage or inspire us. I'm always looking for someone else to do the hard work for me, and it's just difficult to find the person who encourages or inspires us. And then the fear of others, again, back a little bit, you can see a common thread, fear of others discovering how much growth is still possible. They'd have been in the church 10, 15, 20 years. If people discover just how much I still have left to grow, ugh. The lack of desire to be challenged for deeper faith. I'm not sure I want more of that. The past two years were more than enough for me. I'm done growing. I don't need any more growth in my life. I'm good for like the next decade. How much growth is still possible? So what would motivate us then to persevere together? What would actually inspire us to say this is worth it? We acknowledge that this journey of ongoing spiritual transformation, this perseverance, is a very important thing in our life. That it actually demonstrates that we are saved and are being saved. This ongoing spiritual transformation, working out this drift, this, this wandering, oh, I'm prone to it. And understanding the way God designed us to experience spiritual transformation is actually in community. We in America love to make this an individual thing, don't we? Man, we are such an individualistic culture. Every letter, when we see the word you, it's not you singular, it's you plural, written to a community. But we are so individual. I don't need you, right? I'm, I'm fine on my own. Let me figure it out. Instead, God designed us 
to actually persevere in community and accepting where I am spiritually because God does. Do you believe God has you exactly where you're supposed to be? That he's growing you exactly where you are with the circumstances you have. And can I accept that, man, I'm not as far as I want to be, and yet God has got me exactly where I'm supposed to be. Recognize that even those who appear to be ahead may not be. And even if they are, we all have room to grow. Do you ever look at someone else and you go, well, they got it all figured out. Their life must be dialed in. Do you recognize, actually, we're all prone to wander. And even those who might appear ahead still have room to grow in their spiritual journey. Journey continues, and there is joy in this journey. And appreciating that no matter where I am in my journey, God actually wants to use me. He's actually using you for the good of others. You're robbing someone of potential joy and growth by, by elim- or removing yourself from those communities. But do you ever feel like there's just this thing called compassion uh, fatigue? <laughs> Or you're just done giving. You've reached the end. I'm done encouraging others. I've, compassion fatigue has set in. What do you think I'd tell you in that moment? We keep persevering. Compassion fatigue. And so asking people to come around even in that moment of, oh, I'm feeling the weight of my own limits. Appreciating that no matter where I am in the journey, God wants, me to, God wants to use me. And then being convinced there is no greater joy in this life than growing in our understanding and experience of an ability to express the infinite love of God. Man, this is it. The journey of life, being convinced there's no greater joy in growing in our understanding and experience of and then actually expressing. Well, David, I, I just want to experience it. James has been telling us faith works. So what would it look like? What's our response? What do you think of Rob? Rob's thinking, man, I wonder what I'm going to be doing this afternoon. He's thinking, oh, so good. I'm sorry. Is this okay to talk to you guys like this? Rob and I love each other. He's okay. I think he's okay. What do we do? What's the response? You guys with us? Man, persevere to the end. Here's James' final conclusion. Not a fluffy prayer, not to delegitimize those benedictions. But James has a call to action. What would our response be to persevere together? Do you have a brother or sister wandering who needs help? Do you have someone in your life that might be choosing other joys in this life, morally or doctrinally? What might our response be? Do I ignore it? On this search and rescue mission, do I say, ah, they'll be fine up in the mountains. They'll figure it out. I don't want to judge them. It's not on me. Do you ignore it or rationalize in order to do nothing? Do you avoid confrontation because it just makes you feel uncomfortable? You know, I, I, just, I just thought I'd send some prayer and pray for you. And I want to avoid confrontation. I'm trying to make myself feel better. And so what might I do? I'll just avoid confrontation. It just makes me feel uncomfortable. Do my shortcomings prevent me from talking with another believer about their sin? Do I look at my own life and go, <laughs> who am I to say anything? I, I am, I'm still trying to figure out my life. Do my shortcomings prevent me from entering into those conversations? Or with humility and tenderness and genuine heartfelt love, might I pray, watch, and then step 
to try and turn and wander around believing God is actually at work in and through that conversation. That if they've chosen Jesus, he will not let them go independent of me and I get to join Jesus on his search and rescue mission. And then, am I satisfied with what I'm doing to draw near to God or do I need help? Do I look at my own life and go, I'm, I'm not where I want to be? Reread James every day this week and ask God to draw near. We just finished James. Has it just flown through? Reread James as a final look at what God has been doing. And then we can gladly commit to building stronger relationships with our brothers and sisters in Christ for our spiritual benefit and theirs. We can actually join in. One of the mechanisms we use around here, if in a life group, read and prepare. There's those packets we send out every single section for this stuff. Read and prepare life group questions, even if no one else does. Well, David, they're not doing it. Might I embody a desire to hear from God through his word? And if not in a life group, I would hope, pray this summer to engage one in the fall. And pray as we enter into this kingdom of God summer series of what God might be teaching you this summer as we experience him, as we draw near to him and long to be a part of his kingdom and what he's doing in and around us. Pray with me. Oh God, you're so good. Oh You're at work. You are at work in our lives, drawing us to yourself. And sometimes I feel so distant or so absent from you, and I need someone to come alongside. Reveal those people to us or place our lives on their hearts so that they might pursue us in this desire, this ever-increasing desire to experience more of you. Thank you, Jesus. Always for your glory we pray. Amen.